Today's guest is a New Zealand scratch DJ champion, and he has recently crash-landed back into Earth to share with us his newest creation that is Leisure World. We have Alphabet Head. Welcome to Setting the Scene. I am Prof Tahi and today we are joined by Alphabet Head. Thank you for coming along, bro. A pleasure, bro. Thank you. Thank you for coming in, man. So real quick, off the bat, what got you started in music? Oh, I was one of those kids who was obsessed with gadgets. Yeah? Like electronics, that take apart the radio, yeah. um, like get in behind the TV. And my granddad had a turntable and he'd play all this classical music to us yeah. and... I just couldn't look at that rotating disc and not touch it. So I'd always put my hand up there, grab it, and just love the sound of going, ew, ew, ew. I bet your granddad didn't hate it as much, or didn't love it as much as you did. No way, no, I'd, I'd have to that. do it when he was out because I didn't know about slip mats and friction. I was, while well, scratching the top, I didn't know I was scratching up the bottom. It yeah. was like scuffing the bottom of oh, like Debussy shit. and Ravel. Um, and then later on, I worked, I found out that that has a name and it's scratching and it's got this whole giant culture behind it like yeah. hip-hop culture and DJing and so it was that that messing with this record when I was like eight or nine and oh the other thing I missed was with cassettes I had the classic dual cassette deck and I would never be happy just to play one song I'd always like pause a song and then jump to the next deck and so I didn't know what it was but it was sort of proto mixing yo so the mixing and the scratching were real early for you how old were you like doing that this was this was like eight nine and ten and just I was so fortunate that we didn't have a turntable but my granddad did and Mm. I saw them weekly and mum and dad had a dual cassette deck that's insane. That was super common back then, actually. Yeah, that's actually insane that you got your starting so simply. Like, that's a real humble beginnings for what you would go on to do. How long was it before it progressed into something real for you? Well, so I was doing that, and I didn't know what it was. Yeah. And then, you know how you haven't really got a musical identity as a mm. kid? You love it all, you know, whatever on the pop touch you love. But then this older kid, this like bro up the road, who yeah. was like, the, like because he was older than us, he had a, a sick skateboard and he had a tattoo. And we're like, yo, that guy, Chris Derricourt, he is the dude. And he was so good to us younger kids. With me, he was like, what music can you play? And I was like, I'm, um, I'm all music. Yeah. And he's like, here, bro, I'll hook you up. And he handed me like a stack of 12 CDs and it was something from all genres. There was yeah. like Queen, Greatest Hits. Yo. There was Appetite for Destruction, Guns N' Roses. There yeah. was Cypress Hill, Black Sunday. So that you're getting it my ear real, It was a real and mix. loved it all, but the ones I just kept going back to was like um, a De La Soul album and Yo. Cypress Hill. Yeah. And guess what? Both of those albums had that sound I loved as a nine-year-old. And then yeah. they both had scratching. And I, then I was like, I gave them back to Chris. And I was like, Can, more, more, please, more of this. And, and then he hits me with Wu-Tang and Tribe. Yo. And then like, yeah, classic style of so, Taylor boy falling in love with hip-hop. It happened then, 12 and 13. That's so sick that this guy Chris takes you under his wing and he's like, here, let me show you the ways, young Padawan of good. That was... 
dude, it was that. It was so. It was yeah. mentorship. Oh, he didn't. He didn't talk much. He was a real stoic dude. But he was like, "Here, bro, take this ten. Tell me what you like from it." Yo. Isn't it the best? It's like That's hooking insane. someone up with a hard drive now. Just yeah. dump, oh, bro, give us a folder. Yeah, bro, yeah, follow my playlist on Spotify, <laughs> cuz. Yeah, that kind of stuff. That's so sick. And so, how old were you when you got onto your first own set of decks? Oh, d- d- oh gosh. Like a lot of musical equipment. And hip-hop, turntablism is the worst. Yeah. it's the most expensive. Super It expensive. took me... Till almost halfway through high school, I just mowed lawns yeah. and washed cars, and it, my bank account would trickle up. Two dollars, five dollars a pop. Yeah. Mow, mow a real big lawn, get fifteen bucks. It took three years to save. Holy! Yeah, that must have been a real burning passion. And if you're willing to put three years of mowing lawns into one purchase, yeah. Oh, and this was this was like during the time of the birth of the internet. Yeah. So what what kept my um, fire fueled was I'd be going on forums and every night, even though I didn't have the equipment, I'd be reading up and yeah. I'd be practicing. Getting a little fantasy yeah, exactly. on. exactly. Yo, that's so sick. And how old were you when you first started hitting the stage? The f- I, my first gig was actually a DJ battle because I didn't know about clubbing yeah um like a lot of djs are attracted to the clubbing side i love scratching and yeah. the one outlet for scratching was the dj competitions you know in hip-hop there's all the mc battles and there's the b-boy battles yeah and there was the dj battles. and so of this course. was yeah. like this was two year 2000 and i started going in battles at 16 and 17. far out there's that video i think is it 2001 or 2002 yes. of you at the dmc yeah so like it was so crazy my dream was one day I will battle and when I was like 18 I became the New Zealand champ that is so and, um, sick and so but up till then my only gigs had been me entering battles and yeah. then hide away in the room hibernate until the next but that like forced me to engage with people because I started getting emails like oh he's the champ let's get him for gigs and then it snowballed and then I learned about club DJing yeah. and, and actually doing a, a show because battles is like six minutes so it's like practice months and months on this really intricate six minutes that showcases everything you can do so that's um, nuts so it was the battles was an avenue to show the world my scratching and then just I got really lucky and, and won a couple of comps and then like the phone started ringing and then I got to do gigs and was it Along the, that same time, were you doing production back then as well? Or? No, no. Um, so I was really stripped back. You know how it took yeah. me like three or four years to get the turntables? Yeah. Then I'm broke. And then it would take exactly. me a month to get a record. So back then I had like a handful of records, 24 records, and I knew every groove inside yeah. out. And I didn't have a computer. Yep. It was just stripped back. No distractions, no internet, two computers. I mean, no. two computers. <laughs> Three, no, two turntables, a mixer, yeah. and like half a creative record. And that was Shit. me until I, until I like left school and got a proper job. Yeah, man. And then it became a full-blown vinyl addiction. That's crazy. So as, as well as your scratching and then going into the club scene, your production is absolutely nuts i've been listening to a couple of your tracks from your leisure world album there um i've been listening to ransom which i really liked how dirty 
and grimy it sounded yeah. in comparison to a lot of your other experimental sounds. It sounds like you went in another direction there. Yeah, gosh. It, it was like the different um, like chapter. I don't want to say I fell out of love, yeah. but when I was doing the turntablism, the DJ battles, it, there was a giant international scene, and you know how everything ebbs and flows. Yeah. Like skateboarding was so big in the 90s, and then that dovetailed into the turntablism scene. And the scene, the, the opportunities to do what I do, they started driving up. Um, I mean, drying up, and then what was emerging was the beat scene. Remember when there was that shift, and everyone started not just listening to rap, they started taking note of what was happening behind the scenes, yeah. the producers. Um, and so it was around, sort of, this must be 2007 or 8. Then I was like, I've been scratching other people's music, I want to start recording scratch music and making my own beats. And so I sort of took timid steps and now I'm getting to the stage where I've been doing that 10 years. So it was like yeah. these the 10 years, the teenage years when I was a DJ and then now the production. And now, gosh, I hate to admit it, but I'd say 70% of my time is beat making now. And I still love scratching and get on the decks every day, but it's only 30%, so it's the right. split. And now I'm getting obsessed with animation. Um. I'm going to wrap this up, man. So have you got anything that you want to add to this? Man, I really enjoyed talking to you and I look forward to seeing your own course. Yeah. And, I'll, and I'll definitely tune into your other apps. So good luck with the podcast, man. Thank you very much, Brian. Thank you for um, all your contributions to the scene over the years. And thank you very much for coming along and talking to me today. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, cheers. Cheers. That's been Alphabet Head on Setting the Scene with Prof Tahir.